The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better, too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who would like for his tombstone to read, Man's Best Friend. Here is the captain. If he dies, he dies. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week here in the garage, we are very happy to be featuring Amateur Cowboy by the hot-handed gunslinger brewers over at Good Fire Brewing Company. Amateur Cowboy is an imperial double New England hazy that hits on all fronts with abundant tingling zesty hop oil and an extra smooth medium-bodied drinkability. ABV 8% garage grade 4 and a half bottle caps out of 5 and let's give some Thanks and praise to some of our friends that helped us fill up the fridge this week. First up, a big shout out to Katie in Old Town, Alexandria, Virginia. And last but certainly not least, we have a long distance cheers to Emma Holtum in Aarhus, Denmark. Everyone we just mentioned, they went to our website, truecrimegarage.com, clicked on the pint glass. That helped us out with this week's beer fun. And for that, we think. Yeah, B-W-E-R-U-N, Beer Run. Make sure you go to truecrimegarage.com and sign up on our mailing list so you're in the know, and Colonel, that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. October 2009, Charlottesville, Virginia. A group of successful young women made their way to see a concert 
But at some point in the evening, the group lost one of their own. 20-year-old college student Morgan Harrington was last seen near the University of Virginia campus sometime after 9 p.m. Then, she was gone. September 2014. Five years later, on the same college campus, 18-year-old Hannah Graham was last seen just after midnight. Two female college students, both successful young women, with their whole lives ahead of them, go missing in startling similar circumstances. Both are alone on the streets of Charlottesville, Virginia, at night. Both vanish, triggering massive searches, terror for women on campus, and insurmountable heartbreak for their families. There is no known connection between these two other than the circumstances of their disappearances. Little did anyone know, but the University of Virginia College campus had a monster prowling its streets. This is True Crime Garage, and this is the true crime story of the back-to-school killer. Let's go back to October of 2009. Morgan Harrington is a 20-year-old student at Virginia Tech studying to be a teacher. Even though Morgan was at college, she was still close with her parents, Dan and Jill, and her brother, Alex Harrington. Morgan was an avid music fan, and if I can say so myself, Morgan had great taste in music. This is going to take us to the late afternoon early evening hours of Saturday, October 17th, 2009. I would imagine that Morgan was rather excited about this night because she, along with some friends, were going to go and see one of Morgan's favorite bands live in concert. The heavy metal group Metallica was playing at the John Paul Jones Arena on the University of Virginia campus, located in Charlottesville, Virginia. Charlottesville is located in the north near middle part of Virginia. This is from what I have seen <clears throat> This is from what I have seen online. It's a beautiful campus and a very pretty independent city as well. It's hard to believe that such horrible things are going to happen there. Morgan and some of her friends bought tickets for the Metallica show taking place on October 17th. Now as said, Morgan is attending Virginia Tech, so Morgan and her friends are going to make the drive from Virginia Tech to UVA that night in Morgan's car. But Morgan wasn't driving the vehicle. Morgan was playing it cool. She was planning on drinking that night and, in fact, was drinking a little leading up to the concert as well. So one of her friends signed up for the job of the DD, designated driver. They drove the 147 miles between the two schools in about 2 hours and 15 minutes. 
Morgan's friend, the DD, kept the car keys as the group proceeded into the arena. So now they are inside the arena, and of course the place is packed. It's Metallica on a Saturday night on a college campus. Around 8.30 p.m.-ish, Morgan tells her friends she's going to go off to the restroom. She left to go find the bathroom. But when she wasn't back at her seat after about 15 minutes, her friends start to get worried. Now, we know from phone records that at 8.48 p.m., her friend called Morgan's cell phone to ask where she was and when she would be back at her seat. Right. Morgan answered the phone and says that she was outside of the arena and could not get back inside. Now, the details of this are a little tricky here. We don't know how or why she got outside of the arena. Maybe she went outside the doors to smoke and didn't realize that she would not be able to re-enter the venue. But according to some witnesses, she was told that she would not be allowed back in, that they were not allowing re-entry into the venue. Morgan had been drinking for a couple of hours by this point. This according to a statement of the facts. Witnesses said she appeared to be intoxicated at this point in our timeline. In fact, she had a cut on her chin from a fall she had taken on the arena concourse in front of several people. Furthermore, Morgan had no cash on her at this time. She's locked outside of the venue, no cash in hand. Right. She had given her money to one of her friends to buy a concert t-shirt or some memento from the concert. And her friends, remember, had her car keys. Since her friend had the car keys and her other friend had the money, I wondered if maybe her ticket stub was given to one of her friends as well. Could be. She could have still had the ticket stub. And as we've seen a lot of times in these venues, when you have thousands and thousands of people, right. you get let in. Uh, if you choose to leave, you're outdoors now. And again, according to some witnesses, that's what the statement was that she was told by security that if you go outside, we can't let you back in. And like you said, she took a fall. So it's, kind of hard to tell how intoxicated she actually was that's exactly right and so now she's outside of the concert can't get back in i guess we have a couple of options here captain if if we're morgan do you wait right outside the doors you can't even get back into your car if your vehicle's locked at this point it's really unfortunate because this is going to put her in a bit of a desperate situation Maybe had she had some money, she could have walked to a nearby bar and just tried to wait it out. She's not of drinking age, but we do know she is drinking that night. Yeah. And as you pointed out with that fall and her level of being intoxicated and evidence of such with that fall, it, it doesn't seem to me that Morgan may not have been thinking straight by this point. Right. Because one of the things, if she had her keys, is she could have just went out to her car and slept it off. Yeah, and we, we are not telling people to smoke cigarettes. Yes, we are. It's bad for your health. There's no mystery about that. But if you're going to do it, do it old school and go into the bathroom. Don't don't leave the venue. Try to get away with it in the bathroom. So she's not thinking straight. This, this is interesting because we do have some witnesses that will come forward later saying that uh, we saw somebody w matching her description and it, she appeared to be acting erratic at some point and may not have even been acting as one would expect when seen leaving the arena. 
we have a statement here, in fact, a quote that says, after 9 p.m., witnesses observed Morgan in the University Hall West parking lot. This is the Lanigan Track parking lot. And then she was also seen on the Copley Bridge, just north of Ivy Road, sometime after 9.20 p.m. that night. At the time that she was on the Copley Bridge, witnesses advised that she was alone, spotted alone, and appeared to be hitchhiking with her thumb out. Not a good sign. Now, Morgan's friends tried and tried to call her several times to no avail. Keep in mind, though, they are at a concert. It's loud. So we don't know how many times they attempted to call her, but their statements are, we tried to call her time and time again, and at some point, we can't get a hold of her. So she's outside of this arena. She's intoxicated, so it's she's already in a dangerous, risky situation, but now you're trying to hitchhike. You're putting yourself in even a more Later, dangerous situation. Later, when her friends discovered that Morgan had not made it back to the dorm, they decide, well, we need to file a missing persons report with the University of Virginia police. According to that missing persons report, when they last saw her, they stated that Morgan was wearing a black miniskirt, knee-high black boots, black leggings, a Swarovski brand chain necklace, I hope I said that correctly, and a black custom-made Pantera t-shirt that was designed for her by a friend. On the morning after Morgan's disappearance, so now we're at October 18th, this is around 9 a.m., we get a University of Virginia lacrosse player who is off going about their day, finds a purse lying along a fence line at the Lanigan Track parking lot. Remember, we have witnesses saying that they saw Morgan at this track parking lot. Inside the purse, this purse is turned into police. Inside the purse, police recovered Morgan's student ID, driver's license, and her debit card. Of course, this is a very, very bad sign. Also inside the purse was a small empty flask. This is according to Morgan's friends, was the source of the alcohol that she had been drinking on the way to the concert leading up to the concert. Now, that Lanigan track lot, that parking lot that we were talking about, where Morgan's purse had been found, was used by several local taxi companies as a staging area during events at the arena. So, you have basically a bank of vehicles. Taxi cabs are going to pull up park there, probably engines still on, and they're hoping to catch fares of people coming out of the arena. So very common stuff here, but that is a space where she was seen and then later her purse is found. So this would point to the obvious that maybe Morgan had been trying to get a cab. We do know that she's without cash. Maybe she was intending to use her debit card. But regardless if she was trying to get a cab or not, now we have to be concerned is why is she missing? Why is she without her purse? And why is her purse found abandoned on the ground with 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 several pieces of documentation that she would need to be getting around and navigating, hopefully back to her dorm? And let me be Captain Obvious for a second. We have to remember that she's 
over two hours away from her dorm, from her school, from her friends when she goes missing. So Morgan goes missing late at night, last seen just before 9.30 p.m., apparently trying to hitchhike. But later the next day, her purse is found in this parking garage, parking lot area. Then, Captain, things go from grim to very dark very quickly. This is when the following day, police find Morgan's cell phone. So this is actually taking place over the course of two separate days of searching for Morgan or any clues of her whereabouts. On October 19th and 20th, police located Morgan's cell phone and the cell phone cover from various areas in the University Hall West parking lot. The phone's battery, the cell phone's battery was missing when this phone was found. And this is very troubling, especially with what we know today about how investigators are finding people and solving crimes. Right. Was this something that was done intentional by someone that may have taken this young woman? Or was this just happenstance that she dropped the phone in her state and lost the phone and, and, and went on about her night trying to find a way home? It's, it's a little difficult to say, but I think that details like this will become very much clearer as we continue to go through this week's case story and timeline. Well, I agree with you because I think finding her purse, that makes sense in, in the sense of she was intoxicated. She was wandering around. Is it possible that she just dropped it and didn't notice? But when you, sell, but when you find her cell phone and the battery is taken from that phone, that's a big red flag. The, the other thing that's confusing here about these details of this timeline is that none of this really makes a whole lot of sense when you try to play it out, right? So what we have here is the phone and the purse, especially the purse, are found in a location where she's seen earlier prior to being seen out on the bridge trying to hitchhike a road a ride. So why would she go to this area, lose her purse, and then she's seen in a different location further away at a different time trying to hitchhike home. Well, some of the actions of her friends I I don't agree with. One, your friend calls you and says, I'm outside the arena. Somebody can go. Meet me at this door. Maybe you can talk to security. She's with us. Can you let her in? At some point you go, well, she's really intoxicated. We saw her fall and hurt herself, maybe we need to leave this show. And then once you get out of the concert, you can't find her. You have her vehicle. Don't leave town. We don't know that none of that didn't happen, right? We don't know that they didn't offer that up, and and she said, no, I'll be fine. Enjoy the concert. I'll see you afterwards. Right. Um, But what we do know is, yes, they returned back to their campus, And then when they find that she's not there, they're reporting her missing right away. This will lead, obviously, to so many unanswered questions with no sign of this young woman, of Morgan, despite what turns into massive searches of the entire area. Remember, the, the purse was found the following day, the cell phone the next day, and then the cell phone cover 
is found the following day after that. So we're, we're searching for over three days. Now, at some point, a $150,000 reward is offered for information. This is including $50,000 chipped in by the band Metallica. Now, the band's lead singer and guitarist, James Hatfield, put out a video asking for anyone with information to please contact the police, saying something to the effect of, you know, we've lost one of our own. Somebody that was there to have a good time that night has disappeared, and we need to find this young woman. Now, we're going to go all the way out to November 11th. This is when there's another devastating find. So this is roughly about six days shy of Morgan missing for a month now at this point. Police respond to a call of a parcel of private property on 15th Street Northwest near the intersection of Grady Avenue. There, they're called out there because what was found was a black Pantera t-shirt discovered lying spread out atop some bushes. Well, like you said, wasn't it a custom-made shirt? It was. And on top of that, what we're going to get is some forensic science here to tell us that it was, in fact, Morgan's shirt. The very Pantera shirt that she was wearing when she went missing. Right. So they they recover some uh, hairs that are going to later be identified as very likely having to been belong to Morgan. Now, some further interesting details about this t-shirt and the way that it's found. All the reports say that it appeared to have been put on display as if someone wanted it to be found. Now, we don't know if the person that took her would have gone to this area and placed it there for it to be found. Or if it's something as simple as we've, we've all seen this, right? You, the, the winter glove that somebody puts on display near the front door or the exit door of a grocery store because they found it in the parking lot. It could be as simple as somebody that was walking, found this shirt and thought, you know what, I'm going to put it in the most obvious spot. So if whoever lost this comes back to retrace their steps, they will they should see it and be able to collect their item. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, the the tricky thing here, though, is we're talking almost a month after this poor girl has been missing. As you pointed out, Captain, it's a unique shirt, so they're suspicious that it is hers. And as I was getting to, they determined that the, the hairs that they found on this shirt contained mitochondrial DNA a profile consistent with Morgan's mother's DNA. So based on that DNA obtained from the, that information and from the shirt, this meant that the hairs came from someone related to Morgan's mother. And of course, Morgan's missing. So obviously they're going, this is very likely Morgan's which is not good now there was a lot of other evidence on this shirt as well there was a blood stain that was found on the t-shirt which proved to contain genetic information a DNA profile from an unknown person who was already in CODIS 
CODIS is the FBI's DNA database, which contains the STR DNA profiles of millions of convicted violent offenders, arrestees, and others whose DNA is entered into a database pursuant to the laws of the state in which they have police contact. Some of them are unidentified offenders whose DNA was collected at a crime scene, but whose identity police do not know. That was the case here. DNA from an unidentified person already in CODIS matched the DNA from Morgan's case. What this meant was that police now knew that the perpetrator whose blood was on Morgan's T-shirt was the same person, unknown to police, who had committed a crime in Fairfax, Virginia, four years prior, back in 2005. So if that suspect's blood matches the blood in this case, and they have a composite sketch of that individual, that essentially means you have a comp- you have a composite sketch in both cases. Yes, that's exactly right. The, what police will learn once they find out that the DNA on Morgan Harrington's shirt matches unknown, unidentified DNA that is in CODIS from that prior crime, that when they go back to review the details of that prior crime, they find that there was a composite sketch of a potential suspect that existed. But when they investigated that crime, no suspect had been located. So you have this weird scenario of, yes, this is a great lead, but that composite sketch never led to a suspect in the previous crime four years prior. So it dries up rather quickly in the Morgan Harrington case. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. 
one in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, 
Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we are back. Cheers, mates. If you haven't got the Colonel's book, then what are you waiting for? Now's the time. Just go to Amazon. The best way is just search Nick Edwards and it will pop up right there. And you can purchase on Amazon. Or I loved listening to it on Audible. The great Kevin Pierce. Making me sound smarter. Yeah. Mr. Pierce. Thank you. And yeah. I, I, uh, I've, I've told a lot of people if it was you reading it, I never would have finished it. I would have shut it off immediately. Yeah. I would have been like, this is a real shit sandwich. All right. Let's get back to the case. Cheers, mates. Cheers, Captain. Now, this, we're going to go out four months after Morgan disappeared to the next big line item on our timeline here. This is January 26, 2010. And by this point, of course, everybody is expecting the worst and and have been for four months now. But this is confirmation. Well, especially when you find the shirt with blood evidence. Yeah, unfortunately, this is confirmation of what they were really worried about. This is when Morgan's body was found at Anchorage Farm in southern Albemarle County. Virginia by landowner Dave Bass. So he owns this piece of land. He he actually owns several acres out there. And I, I didn't have it in my notes how large his property is. But from my understanding, Captain, it was several hundreds of acres. Wow. And so he has portions of his land that he very likely does not go to on a regular basis. Now, he's out on his tractor. And he initially thought that he found a deer carcass and then upon further examination realizes that there's a human skull there. So we've got to call this in. Right. And so he calls it in and now based on the state of the remains that are recovered there at that property, it was estimated that the body had been there and been outside and deceased for most, if not all of the period that Morgan Harrington was missing. Now, some pieces of clothing and jewelry were recovered with the remains, but Morgan's boots, leggings, and necklace were never found. The remains were sent to the office of the chief medical examiner in Richmond, where Dr. Kevin Whaley performed an autopsy. She was positively ID'd using dental records. So now we do know that it is the missing Morgan Harrington. The cause of death was homicidal violence of an undetermined origin. This because of the decomp that had taken place. The manner of death, of course, was homicide, but it wasn't clear exactly what had killed Morgan. Hmm. But they did know, based off of the scientific evidence, that she suffered violence near simultaneously with her death. She had a spiral fracture 
of her upper left arm and two rib fractures, which according to the medical examiner occurred at or near the time of her death. A review of the case by Dr. Donna Boyd, a forensic anthropologist at Radford University, confirmed Dr. Whaley's conclusions, but also located an incised fracture in Morgan's skull that had also occurred at or near the time of death. All of this is to say that Morgan suffered a violent end at the hands of someone else. We now are taking our missing persons case and making it officially a homicide investigation. All right, Colonel, it's time to jump in the DeLorean and jump five years ahead. Yeah, we're going to move forward five years later in our timeline. Unfortunately, this is because in September of 2014, well, everything that we pretty much just discussed, it's going to happen again. This time we have 18-year-old University of Virginia sophomore Hannah Elizabeth Graham. Mm -hmm. She's the only daughter of John and Sue Graham. She's a student athlete at University of Virginia. She's on the ski team. An honor student, born in England but raised in Fairfax, Virginia. She's described as smart, outgoing, sociable, fun, and a very positive, outgoing person. On the night of September 12, Hannah met up with some of her friends and fellow ski team members to pregame a little bit before they went out to party for the night. Yeah. Right? Study hard, work hard, party hard when you have the opportunity. So meeting up with friends and fellow ski team members, the group went out for the night. They began drinking around 7 p.m. At 9.33 p.m., they left their apartment and went to a place called Fig, a restaurant in downtown Charlottesville. This is across the street from the university. Again, this is this is not a, a large area, right? So we have to be specific here. Charlottesville is a university town. It's not a big city at all. It's 43,000 people. It's the size of most suburbs. The air quotes downtown mall, as it is called, is the street area bordering the gates to the university. It's, it's, it's not an all-inclusive interior inside mall that's sprawling. This is more of an open uh, walk from business to business kind of setting. Right. So this area, the downtown mall area, features bustling bars, restaurants, ice cream shops, and college apparel shops as well. It's, and this is considered to be a very safe environment, a very safe neighborhood. Hannah and her friends spent several hours at the Fig restaurant, leaving around 11 p.m. So then they go to a college party at an apartment in Charlottesville. Once there, Hannah decides that she's not going to be staying very long. And she actually leaves with a friend to go to another party. However, they're going to continue to drink. And eventually Hannah becomes pretty intoxicated. So around 11.50 p.m., that's 11.50 p.m., she told her friends that she wasn't feeling very well and she would like to go home. One of her friends walked her outside of the party they go out to the sidewalk area. This is located at the Camden Plaza apartment on 14th street. 
The friend is offering to walk Hannah home. Hannah says, no, she's going to be fine. You go back and enjoy the party. I'm going to make my way home. So she started walking on her own in the direction of her apartment. As she walked, she continued to text her friends. But then her texts were increasingly filled with misspellings and indecipherable messages. And this is because she's impaired. Yeah, not good. Then Hannah started sending messages indicating that she was lost at some point. I was going to say, yeah, maybe one, the text messages are not clear because she's one intoxicated, but, but two, sometimes when you're walking and you're trying to find your way, you're, you're not really fully paying attention to the text that you're sending. Well, and this is unfortunate too, because if, if her friends were to go out and try to look for her on foot, they're not going to have a whole lot to go off of if her texts to them are filled with misspellings, she doesn't know where she is, and indecipherable messages. Which This is all a little confusing to me because this campus isn't that big of an area. No, but it's understandable to me that, that this young woman got lost. And, and here's where I go with this. It's, it's dark out. It's incredibly late. Right. We do know by all reports, and we'll have further information of this later, that Hannah is intoxicated. And the other thing that I wonder too, this is her sophomore year. The, this is the very beginning. We've just gone back to school. This is September of 2014. It's very likely that she may have moved and, and now is living in a new apartment or new dorm. Right. So she, she might have a hard time finding it even if she were not impaired, just with it being dark and living in a new place and coming from a location that she may not be familiar with. Regardless of that situation, though, Captain, what we have here is we do know that she does send several texts to her friends. Unfortunately, the last text that will be sent comes in at approximately 1 a.m. And the text is very short and just says, I got stuck down though. Remember, we're saying that the texts aren't completely making sense. Right. Guessing here and others have speculated on this and it seems correct that she's probably trying to say, I got stuck downtown. Right. Uh, and then it turns into down though. When Hannah didn't show up for her scheduled early event on Saturday morning, this is the 13th. Her friends were alarmed and tried to reach her several times. So they're getting no luck. So what they do is they take it a step further and they contact Hannah's family and her parents and say, look, this is a situation. She was walking home by herself late last night after we were all out partying. We had a scheduled event early the next morning. We're all here. She's not here. Right. We can't get a hold of her. But that is somewhat reasonable because she left the party because she was feeling sick. Correct. And we've all slept one off, yeah. right? Uh, at least the colonel has a couple of times. But I'm sleeping one off right now. Mom and dad and all the friends and classmates, schoolmates are in agreement that this is totally unlike Hannah right. to, one, not be responsive to the communications, but also, two, to fail to show up for a commitment. Now, once she hadn't turned up by Saturday afternoon, parents and friends banding together called the police. Charlottesville police became heavily involved right away. 
they were assisted by the state police. They were able to locate witnesses that saw Hannah and found surveillance footage that showed Hannah walking on the night of September 12th into the early morning hours of September 13th. Now, here's what they found. Around 12.45 a.m., Hannah was spotted walking past McGrady's Pub. This is at the intersection of Grady and Preston Avenues. There, they talked to a bouncer. A bouncer noticed Hannah walking by. She then turned around and walked by again, but going in the opposite direction. He made the observation that she was probably intoxicated. He asked her if she's okay. Do you need some help? To which... The young lady, which we will later know as Hannah, replied that she was okay and did not need any help at all. So then she walks away, heading east on Preston Avenue. Right. Hannah turned up shortly thereafter again on surveillance footage, this from the Preston Avenue Shell Station at 12.55 a.m. She had walked east down Preston from McGrady's. The Shell Station footage showed Hannah walking east on Preston and then making her way toward the downtown mall. She was then seen on surveillance footage from Reed's supermarket and the crossings apartment complex. And again, she's continuing East on Preston at this time. Now we're going to go to one Oh one AM when she is seen on surveillance footage from Fellini's restaurant. She's walking East on the South side of market street. She turned right and walked South down second street northwest again toward the mall so you can tell by some of these movements even if you're not familiar with these these streets and you're trying to picture this in your mind what you what you envision here is a young lady that's walking the streets but constantly kind of turning around and 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 going in a very roundabout way indicating that she's either quite intoxicated and doesn't know where she is or she's lost and doesn't know where she is or what is very likely a combination of both at different points in this timeline. Yeah. Not a safe place to be. Now police do find witnesses who said that they saw someone matching Hannah's description. She's at a bar according to the statement with a man and then witnesses also seeing her on the street in the company of this same man. Now, after that, she's not seen again. Well, I'm guessing from those eyewitnesses is how we get the composite sketch. This is crazy, Captain, because I can I can remember You're crazy, man. Being out somewhere and watching TV at a restaurant or something, and they they're showing on the TV the actual they they piece together and tape together these different pieces of surveillance footage. Right. And they were showing them to the public. They're like, okay, here, here's, she's seen walking by herself. Oh, and then here at some point she's seen walking with a man. And we're being told by witnesses that she was spotted in the company of this man, not only on the street, but in a bar. What they're telling the public with this, with this surveillance footage that they spliced together. That, hey, we're, we're looking for two things here, John Q. Public. We need help finding this young lady. She's not been seen, number one. And number two, we need some help identifying who this man is because he should know where she is or 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 should be able to offer us some kind of information as to what 
they were talking about that night or where she may have gone, where he last saw her. Right. So the public is being asked to help with several different items in this investigation. And kudos to the police for crowdsourcing this because I think it really moved and furthered their investigation rather quickly rather than to hold on to this information. And due to that effort, they were actually able to identify the male that was with her. Yeah, they're going to get some help from the public here, Captain, and we're going to identify this individual as James Leroy Matthew Jr. He is a 32-year-old taxi driver or one-time taxi driver. He is six foot two inches tall, 270 pounds. So he's a big boy. I think part of the quickness to identify this individual is his size and stature. Now we have some timeline info for this guy, uh, for the night in question. So September 12th to the 13th, 2014, here's what we have earlier in the evening on the 12th, Jesse Matthew coached a football game at the covenant school. Then afterwards, he goes out bar hopping. And during his bar hopping adventures, he begins a pattern of physically invasive and inappropriate behavior toward women that he encounters that night. Yeah, it sounds like a real douche canoe. Without, you know, without dragging this out longer than it needs to be, basically what he's doing, Captain, he's going up to different women, he's engaging them in short conversation at the bars, and then he's grabbing their legs, their butts, um, won't leave them alone. He's making sexually suggestive comments to them and, 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 and not just making them uncomfortable, making them extremely uncomfortable because they are very obviously not excited about his advances. Right. They're, they're telling, Hey, leave us alone. Don't touch us. You know, what are you, what are you doing? And a couple of the girls or young women that he met that night, he's even, you know, picking them up. Maybe he thinks he's trying to show some form of affection, but people don't like to be just picked up, no. especially by a, a large individual, six foot two, 270 pounds. So this is a strong guy. Now responses from these women to leave them alone. They're saying, you know, I got a boyfriend. I'm not interested. Why don't you get lost that he's unfazed by all of this. And he's so persistent and relentless with his physical contact that several women, they end up leaving the bars to avoid this guy, further interaction with this dude. So then he starts traveling bar to bar, places called the Lazy Parrot and a place called Rapture and then a place called Blue Light. He ended up at a, a establishment called Tempo where he grabbed a woman's butt she hit him. She then hid from him, but he found her and continued to harass her until somebody came along and told him, Hey buddy, get lost. So he closes out his tab at, at, at 103 AM. 103 AM. Remember I've said it before. Victims sometimes just get unlucky. We know that her last text was sent around 1 a.m. 
that she was lost downtown, down though, stuck down though. And it's assumed that he closes out his tab at 103, walks out of the establishment, and walks right into Hannah Graham's path. So we were talking earlier because there's something very haunting when when you see this surveillance footage. And so you see this footage of Hannah walking, and she passes Jesse. Yes. And Jesse almost sees the state that she's in and turns back around to follow her. I mean, it's very haunting. That we, we can't say for certain if that was the moment that he made a lot of decisions, but we, we can guess that he did make at least one decision there. So what, what we have is just as the captain described, we have Hannah who is staggering eastbound near a location called uh, an establishment called Sal's Cafe. This is at 221 East Main Street. From there, the police are going to get surveillance video footage that will show her walking eastbound past Sal's at 1.06 a.m. Now, on the same footage, what they see is Jesse Matthew, who walks past Hannah. Picture this. They're going in opposite directions. As the captain said, he probably made an observation as to her state at the time and then made the decision, I'm going to whoop, turn around and go the same way, follow her, and approach her. So on the on that footage that was released that I remember seeing that they asked the people to help with, you can see him walk past her, turn around, and then he starts to follow Hannah Graham and eventually catch, catches up with her. And he doesn't snatch and grab her. What he does, he, he approaches her in a, what may even appear to be some kind of friendly manner with the gesture of putting his arm around her. Now, what we would end up with, we get a female witness that will come forward who says, look, not only did I, too, have an encounter with Jesse Matthew that same night, fended him off, if you will, at one of the bars. But I also saw that same guy with his arm wrapped around Hannah Graham later that night and telling police at that time, Hannah was visibly drunk. The witness protested to uh, actually approached the two of them and protested to Jesse Matthew saying, look, dude, you know, you were being a jerk earlier and this girl you're walking with, you don't know her. You don't even know her. And you got your arm around her. Right. He tells her to shush. And then the witness and her friend, they decide to follow Jesse Matthew with the young woman, Hannah Graham, who would later be identified as Hannah Graham. They follow the two of them out of concern into that business called Tempo, the, the establishment called Tempo, where he sits down and he sits Hannah Graham down in a booth with him. He buys her a drink. He buys himself a drink. He pays for these drinks. Uh, that really helps us later know his movements because he's paying via credit card. Soon thereafter, the witness tells her friend, and th this is another one of those 
haunting situations, they're commenting about what they see or what they expect could happen and probably maybe even suspecting the worst. But what was said to from one witness to the other is, quote, he's going to fuck her up. And right after this, before they know it, the two are gone. Jesse Matthew and Hannah Graham had left the bar. Well, again, this individual's intimidating. He's intimidating. I mean, his size is hes a little over 6'2". I believe he weighs about 270. This is a... This is a big boy. What we end up seeing from surveillance footage here, Captain, is the two of them walking arm in arm, proceeding northbound up 4th Street. And then we have footage from the red pump at 4th and Main Streets that captures them again. This is is at uh, 1.18 a.m. The next we have a male witness who sees Hannah walking ahead of Jesse Matthew on 4th Street. Matthew followed her. She crossed East Market Street at the crosswalk. And as she did, again, we got Matthew following her and he catches up to her again, putting his arm around her. They walked to a parked vehicle and stopped. This was Jesse Matthew's vehicle. It's a 1998 orange Sebring. The male witness continued to observe as the male who we now know is Jesse Matthew unlocked the passenger door and gestured to Hannah to get in, who said to him very loudly, I'm not getting in that car with you. What is it stolen to the witness? Hannah sounded scared. He proceeded toward his own parked vehicle and heard nothing else. When he drove by that spot, just seconds later, the vehicle's gone. And also are the two people, the male, who is identified as Jesse Matthew, and then Hannah Graham. Join us back here in the garage, same bat time, same bat channel. And until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.